0: You guys have a happy Thanksgiving? Yeah? Yeah? Let's do the Thanksgiving test. Let's see if I passed or failed. I failed. Totally failed. If you eat right, you can't button the buttons. You know, when I was a younger man, I could do it. I've, I've just lost it. I just can't, I can't eat like I used to. Anybody feel that way? You get older. When you were young, you could just tear it up, you know, go back in for your fourth plate. I eat one plate of food now and I'm like, oh. I'm done. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's terrible. I tell you. Well, my name's Olin Carter. I serve here on our teaching team, and uh, it's a great honor to be here with you today. If you're new to Freedom House, something that is very special about our church is that although we have multiple campuses, we have a live communicator, a pastor bringing God's word at all of those campuses, every service, every weekend, which I think is an amazing thing to pull off because that's not easy to do. And not a lot of pastors give up their influence and platform to others like our pastors do. So can we give it up for our senior pastors? Give them a hand clap. Pastor Troy and Penny, Maxwell, they are the best. I love them so much for that. And before we jump into God's word today, I wanna make sure we take a moment and we greet those that are joining us online. We have people right now joining us all around the nation, all around the world. We have people in North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, New York, Maryland, Ohio, sorry Ohio, I know it's, it's morning in Ohio, Virginia, Arizona, New Mexico, New Hampshire, New Jersey, Florida, and the Netherlands. You guys give it up for them. So glad you're with us today. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And we're in this series right now called Faith Over Fear. Now has anybody been encouraged a little bit in this series? Yeah? Has you, have you felt your faith level rise just a little bit? Maybe just a little bit. I want to encourage you today to take some risk, to take some chances. I think sometimes we play it way too safe. If you're taking notes today, if you're a real Christian, you're writing stuff down, real Christians take notes. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The title of the message today is Risk is Required. Risk is Required. Now, do you have something risky in your life? that you've always said you would never do. Maybe it's swim with the sharks, right? You're like, "Uh uh-uh, not me. I'm not getting in the water with sharks. That's crazy. Only crazy people do that. I'm not doing it. Maybe it's jump out of an airplane. Anybody in here ever said, I'm never jumping out of an airplane? Like, that is not for me. I see some heads. Yep, not doing it. Don't need that experience. Not at all. I think we all have something, right? Something that is like, that kind of scares me. That's a little intimidating. I don't need to do that in my life. Well, for me... That thing was skiing. I've said my entire life that I would never go skiing. And all these people that love to ski, many of you who love to ski have often tried to talk me into it. And so people would come up to me and hear me say, oh, I'm never going to ski. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of afraid of skiing. I don't, I don't like heights. I don't want to do it. And they would come up to me and say, oh, no, 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 you need to ski. It's so much fun. And I would always say the same thing. Really? Tell me more. And within five minutes, and many of you probably had this experience before, they will tell you why you should not ski. Because within five, they can't resist it. They're, within five minutes, they're telling me some story of how their cousin or best friend wrapped himself around a tree, broke every bone in his body, and I'm like, see, right there. That's why I'm not going skiing. You just proved it. I don't need that in my life. Well, there's one person on this planet that could get me to go skiing. See if y'all can figure out who it is. One person, not my wife, not my wife, Pastor Troy Maxwell. He's a little bit of a pusher, y'all. Peer pressure is real. And he invited me, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Matt, to go on this fundraiser deal, this thing out in Colorado earlier this year. He said, we're going to go skiing. And he, and he starts out light. you know, he's a good, Pastor Troy is a good pusher. You know, he, he started out easy. He started out and he's like, you don't have to go. It's no big deal. Just, you know, I thought you might like to come. And I'm like, well, I'll think about it. You know, I gave him the standard Olin response. I said, I'll pray on it. I'll pray on it. That means I don't want to go. If you ever hear me, if you ever ask me to do something, hey, can we, and I say, I'll pray on it, that means probably not going to happen. And I'm like, I'll pray about it. And then after a couple weeks pass, he comes back and he says, "So you going on the trip?" And I'm like, "I don't think I don't think I'm going to do that. I, I, I've always been a little skiing's not for me." And he's like, "No, you need to come. You need to come." And he starts putting the pressure. "No, you need to do it. You're going to have a blast. It's all, I'll show you how to do. It. We'll get you lessons. It's going to be easy. No problem." And I'm like, "No, no, no. I don't want to do it." He says, "No, you need to come." A couple weeks pass. I'm like, "Pastor, I think I'm going to sit this now." Oh no, I already had Jenny buy your ticket. You're going. You're in. You're, you you got to come, man. This is going to be great. You don't want to miss out. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh." So we get up there on the mountain, the first day, little bunny slopes, you know, like nothing, like real easy. I'm falling. I fell like 20 times, hurt my pride a little bit, but you know, my hip's okay. I'm not like really hurt. I mean, I'm like getting it a little bit and I'm like, okay, Pastor Aaron was actually doing pretty good. The second day, Pastor Aaron and I go over to these green slopes and we're going, you know, down a little more. I'm still falling some, but I'm getting better starting to get the hang of it. The fear is like me and the fear, you know, in a wrestling match, but I'm, I'm winning, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm staying up. But this older gentleman told me and pastor Aaron, listen, I know it's not intuitive, but what you need to do is halfway through the day. If you're getting it a little bit, you need to go up to the top of the mountain. And I'm like, top of the mountain. He says, <laughs> top of the mountain. And he's like, no, I know it sounds scary, but listen, there's this red Buffalo these slopes, and you can ski all the way down, and it's really flat. It'll take you a while. It's really easy. It's for beginners, no problem. So I'm like, all right, all right, we're gonna do it. So we we were doing okay, so we have lunch. We decide we're gonna go up to the top of the mountain. Well, I made two major mistakes. Number one, I did not properly assess the situation. I'm going up this chairlift, and I am looking down at people going down this mountain like 50 miles an hour, on snowboards doing like 360s and stuff. And I mean, I'm starting to hyperventilate. I wear this whoop band to track my heart rate, my strain. My heart rate was over 145 before I got off the chairlift. (laughs) I mean, my heart is just, just beating out of my chest. I'm starting, I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. We get to the top. The second mistake is we let Pastor Troy and Pastor Matt know that we were going there. So when we get there, guess who's waiting to meet us? And I'm like, oh no. I just see Pastor Troy and I'm like, oh no. Because he, you know, they, they've been skiing their double black diamonds of death, you know, runs. And they come over and now they're going to make sure we do something crazy that we shouldn't do. So I'm like, here's the red buffalo. We need to go to the right. Pastor Troy, the guy said, go to the right. And he's like, no, 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 we got to go to the left. And I'm like, not to the left. Within, I mean, one minute, I almost hit a pole. I mean, I'm starting to go and I'm like, uh, bam. I fell down 30 times. We haven't even made it down the first part of the run yet. I finally got so frustrated, I just pointed my skis down the mountain and said, the heck with it. I passed Pastor Matt like he was going backwards. I mean, I went, Psh. I mean, I was just doing like this, just shaking. I was like, yeah. And I got to a point where I just, I was going to either burst into flames or just hit a tree and die. I didn't know what was coming next. I got to that point and I just was like, here we go. Ah, and I just went. And I asked Pastor Matt after, I said, how was that? And he goes, man, that was awesome. <laughs> Snow just boosh in there. My skis go flying off. So I get up, I get my skis and I'm like, guys, it's been real. I'm out. I can't, I can't move. Like I'm so exhausted. I'm going to hike up to this chairlift and I'm just going to go down to the bottom. So I start to go up the hill. I make it about halfway up and I'm so tired. My heart's beating. I'm like, I'm just going to take a break. It's a pretty day. It's beautiful out. I just lay down on the side of the hill. Well, I thought they left. Pastor Troy's watching. I hear oh, like that. I get up and he's down there like, he thinks I'm having a heart attack. To hear his side of it, he said he looks up the hill and he sees this black, You know, I'm in this black ski suit, this body just laying out in the snow like this. (laughs) He thought I died. (laughs) He thought I had a heart attack. Long story short, they had to send the ski guy, the ranger guy to get me off the mountain. I was so exhausted when he said, get your skis and just put them in the thing. My arms were shaking like this. This whoop band, all the staff was worried about me. They were like, what's going on, Pastor Olin? You know, people are texting, like, what's going on? Because they were seeing my strain. I asked Pastor Troy at the end of the day, I said, so what's the max, you know, max strain on here? And he says, well, 21 is the max. I said, what happens when you hit 21? He says, I don't know, no one's ever hit it. I think you die. He's like, I don't know. (laughs) No one's ever hit 21. I was a 20.7. I was so exhausted. So the next day... I just spent some time with Jesus. I was like, (laughs) I was like, y'all go have fun skiing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, actually attend the conference here and just read my Bible. Y'all got me. But you know, the best things in life, looking back, I'm glad I did it. I don't know that I'll do it again, but I'm glad I did it. You ever you ever taken on a fear like that? And you're glad you did it? You know, the best things in my life came with a little bit of risk. A little bit of risk. I think back. My time as a missionary when I was young, that required some risk. Took some risk. I remember family members, I remember Christians, church people telling me, man, what are you doing? You're crazy. Like, you ought to be in college right now. You need to be pursuing a career. How are you going to have a family? How are you going to support yourself? And I'm like, well, I thought I was obeying God, like taking a chance, you know? But it's amazing how when you go out there to take a risk in your life, be prepared a lot of well-meaning people will come and they will try to talk you out of it because see your risk kind of brings some conviction to their lack of risk they don't want to take a risk in their life and they see you doing something with your life and they'll come and they'll challenge you And it my marriage took some risk anybody's been married in here you know it takes a little risk doesn't it? it's a little bit of a gamble you got to put your heart out there you got to be vulnerable at some point, guys, you young guys in here, listen, you're going to have to walk up to a young lady and say, hey. <laughs> right? I mean, at some point, I know everybody now is all digital. It's like on the phone, on the computer, and on all that stuff. That's, don't do that. That's lame. That is lame. Yeah. You got to man up. You got to go up to the young lady, look her in the eyes, and say, you want to go out? You know? You might not be good at it. Look, I wasn't good at it, but it worked right? Just keep trying. You got to take a risk. My career in in the mortgage industry, I was 100% commissioned for 20 years. That is not for the faint of heart, right? You had to take a risk. Now, you could make a lot of money, but you could also have months, and I had months, where you made no money. And And I had to be willing to take a risk. That's what I thought God wanted me to do, so I had to take a risk and pursue it. What about when God called me to join the staff here at the church? Man, that was a risk. I had just gotten to the point in my career where I kind of started to figure it out. I was starting to make some money. I was starting to reap the benefits of over 20 years I had invested into this career, and then God comes and taps me on the shoulder and says, I'm changing everything. <laughs> what? Like, I, I thought this is where you wanted me. I thought, I thought this was working. Like, this is good. No, this is good. Like, I'm happy. Like, this is working, God. And God's like, nope, blowing it all up. Like, I'm changing everything. And listen, sometimes you can get so comfortable in your life. For some of us, victory has defeated us. For some of us, we've taken a risk before, and God's blessed us, but we've gotten so comfortable, we're not willing to take another risk We're not willing to to follow God into that new chapter, into that next thing, into that next level of giving, into that new career, into starting that business, into whatever it is that God wants for us. Think about COVID. I think the crazy thing about risk is sometimes as people, logically, we get it backwards. When you think about COVID and what it showed us about our culture, I mean, we have the best medical care in the history of the world, but yet we were more terrified than ever of getting sick. Why is the safest generation ever the most fearful? You ever think about that? What about as Christians? Early Christians were often killed for their faith. Many times today, Christians in other countries are killed for their faith or pay a great price for their faith. Maybe they're totally ostracized from the community. They can't even operate a business. They're closed off from the economy. Maybe they're beaten. Maybe their family is harassed. They pay a great price, but yet it is often the safest Christians in the world that are the most afraid of taking a risk for God. If you think about it, Christians in America should be the first in line to take a risk and obey God because the risks are so small compared with Christians of other times or other nations of the world. But yet we sit sometimes paralyzed In fear. I think many times those with the most feel like they have the most to lose. Sometimes those of us who have the most feel like we have the most to lose. But I believe God is calling us to leave behind the things of this world for something that's so much better. See, it's easier today for Satan to trick people with the lie that you have something worth protecting. See, Satan will use this lie. He will whisper in your ear that you don't want to lose what you've got. Oh, it's taken you so long to get this career, to get this job. You don't want to risk it. You don't want to lose it. Think about how long you've been friends with this person or in this neighborhood. You think of your reputation. Think of how long it's taken you. You don't want to put that to risk. Think of all that you have. Think about all that your dreams and, 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 and the things you've been saving towards, you don't want to be a kingdom builder, give, and risk that dream vacation, that new house, that new car. You don't want to risk that. It's so easy today for Satan to lie to us that the things of this world are even worth comparing to the things that God has for us. Don't ever risk eternal rewards for temporary comfort or pleasure. Don't ever risk eternal rewards for temporary comfort or pleasure. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 13, verses 1 through 12. He's been telling us about the heroes of faith. He's been talking about Abraham. He's been talking about Sarah. He's been talking about Moses, these great heroes of the faith and what they did. And it says in verse 13, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, what does it mean when it says they didn't receive the promise? I mean, Abraham received Isaac. Wasn't Isaac the promise? Moses rescued the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt walked out into the middle of the sea, put his rod down, and the sea parted in half. Pretty good miracle, right? I mean, I would say he received some promises from God. I mean, he rescued a nation from slavery, crossed the sea, the Bible says, as on dry ground. Pretty amazing, If that were me, if that were you, we would probably be dancing, just praising God. Hey, I have received the promise. Man, this is awesome, God. But it says here that these men and women of faith knew that even the things that they received were not the promise. They were a promise. They were pointing to the promise. But it says they looked in a distance for the promise because they knew the promise was still coming. What was the promise? The promise was Jesus. The promise was Jesus. The promise was eternal life. The promise was the thing that you and I, as believers, have a new heart, a new creation filled with the Spirit of God. We have the promise, but yet sometimes we are less willing to take a risk than these men and women of God who only looked at it afar off. They were looking through the ages of time, hoping for the promise, believing for the promise. We have the promise. We've received the promise. How much more should we be willing to take a risk? Verse 15, it says, if they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. Their focus had to be forward. They had to realize that I'm not of this earth. And the problem with us is that many times Satan lies to us. He tricks us into believing that we're in our homeland, that this is our country. That the little morsels that we receive here, the the comforts, it's easier for Satan to, to lie to us today because we're surrounded by comfort and luxury. Now don't get me wrong, all of us, see, the Lord is approving, all of us have times in our lives of hurt and loss, right? We all have pain, we all go through that for a moment. But then we can go home, we can turn on Netflix, we can live in our air-conditioned home, we can drive our new car. We have these moments of comfort, these moments of pleasure that Satan uses to make us think we're at home. See, these men and women of faith, they understood they were just passing through. See, I I don't live here. I, I just set up a tent. I'm just passing through. And see, when you have that attitude, when you understand that the things of this earth are not to be compared with what God wants to give you and do through you, it's not so hard to take a risk anymore. Not so hard to risk. Look at Romans chapter eight, verse 18. It says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. See, Satan wants to use the good times in our lives to distract us, and he wants to use the bad times in our lives to make us long for the good times. I'll say that again. Satan wants to use the good times in our lives to distract us, and then he wants to use the bad times to make us long for the good times. Do you see how that works in a circle? He keeps us trapped in the here and now, never thinking of the eternal, never getting a taste of what God really has for us, and then unwilling to take a risk, unwilling to move by faith. What keeps you up at night? Is it earthly risks or spiritual dangers? Is it the fear of losing your job? Is it the fear of the bills that are coming? Is it the fear of a relational issue? Or do you stay up at night? Or is the things that drives you to your knees, are they spiritual things? We just got through a series in Revelation. Pastor Troy preached on the church of Laodicea. I would that you were hot or cold, but because you were lukewarm, I will what? Spew you out of my mouth. If you wake up at night, if you can't go to sleep because you're praying, oh God, I don't wanna be, I don't wanna be lukewarm, God. I wanna be hot, I wanna be, I wanna be hot for you. If that's your desire or that's your concern, if that's what you're worried about, hey, that's pretty good worry. But most of us don't stay up at night worried about spiritual dangers. We stay up at night worried about earthly risks. We're preoccupied. We're distracted by the things of this world. And so we never make any progress and we're never willing to take a risk for God. Satan wants us so afraid to lose our earthly happy meal that we won't obey God and walk into heaven's steakhouse. Risk is required. I want you to think about this today. I want you to think about risk. Is risk risky? Is risk risky? Is playing it safe safe? We just assume these things are so, but is risk really risky? Is playing it safe safe? Safe. Another lie of Satan is that we get to choose between risk and safety. That's another lie of the enemy. The truth is, you don't get to choose between risk and no risk. You don't get to choose whether your life is going to have risk or not. You don't get to choose whether you're going to live a life of danger, of risk, or you're going to live a life of safety and ease. You don't get to choose that. You might get to choose the risks you take. But you don't get to choose whether you're going to take any risks. Just getting up this morning, coming to church, you took a risk. We are surrounded by risks. The real question is, which risk are we going to choose to take? The problem is that we typically only assess the risks on one side of the equation. We don't assess the risks of inaction. See, we're sitting here in church. The altar call comes and... We feel God pull on our heart, and we think about the risk of action. We think, well, I don't want to get up and go up front and get prayed for. Everybody will look at me. Everybody will think something about me. I mean, what will they think? What will they say? We, we think about the risk of action, but we never think about the risk of inaction. What if you stay in your chair? What if you don't respond to God? What if your marriage is never healed? What if that habit is never broken? What if that sin is never overcome? What if you get stuck where you are and God is never allowed in to push you forward into your future? Are you weighing the risk of inaction? See, when we are unwilling to act, we miss opportunities to shrink our fear. When we are unwilling to act, we miss opportunities to shrink our fear. Every one of us has a fear. I had a fear of skiing. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. And listen, it's still scary, but it's less scary than it was before. All of us have fears in our lives, and what a trauma specialist would tell you, what a, what a counselor would tell you if you have post-traumatic stress disorder and you've experienced something super traumatic in your life is the best way to overcome that is to experience the thing in small doses, It's not to isolate yourself from the thing you're afraid of. It's not to lock that thing away. It's not to be unwilling to take any risk ever again. That just makes it worse. What a trauma specialist will tell you is, no, you need to introduce just a a tiny, a a little bit of that risk so you can taste it, you can experience it, and then the fear will begin to shrink. Now, months ago, we had a staff fun day, and uh, we were out at the lake, and my son, he's just kind of getting better at swimming. He's, uh, he can swim pretty good now. year or so back, he, you know, he was still learning. He wasn't real confident. Anybody in here, you can swim a little bit, but maybe you're not confident enough to jump out in the middle of a lake and swim, right? So in the past, whenever I was on a jet ski, I would ask him to get on with me. He would go, uh, I don't know. He was a little hesitant, right? So he wouldn't get on the jet ski with me. Well, this time... I pulled up. He was in the shallow water. I pull up on the jet ski. I'm like, hey, you want to go? And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, I'm going to do it. He jumps on the back of the jet ski. We go flying off into the lake, man. We're hitting wakes. We're having fun. But I do the cardinal rule, the thing you're never supposed to do on a jet ski. We're actually going slow. We're in this little cove. And I turn it really sharp, really slow. Right? You know what's about to happen. It's like, you ever do something It's like in slow motion? We start to turn, and, I'm, and you just start to feel it. And I'm like, no. And I mean, we're just going, and it throws us both off. The jet ski flips totally upside down. We're out in the middle of the lake. We're swimming. I didn't know how to flip the thing back over again because I've never flipped one before. I had no idea how to flip the jet ski back over. So we're just figuring it out. We start pushing it to get it closer to shore where we can stand up. We finally get the thing flipped back over. We jump back on the jet ski. We come flying back. And then we're telling people the story. Oh, we flipped the jet ski over, all this stuff. And my son said something that jumped out at me. He went from a place of fear of the unknown to then he says, yeah, we flipped it over. And you know, and I heard him say this, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. You ever experienced that before? where you're terrified of something, then you experience the thing, you get off the thing and you go, that wasn't so bad. See, sometimes when we're unwilling to risk, when we're unwilling to act, we never have an opportunity to shrink our fear. For some of you in here, that's a confrontation. That's somebody at work, somebody in your family, and you've been putting off having that confrontation, that hard conversation with them for a year, for two years, for five years, You've been held in bondage because you're terrified. You're one of those people, I don't like confrontation. I don't know how it'll go. It's not going to go well. Can I just tell you, once you experience, you're going to come out the other side going, that wasn't that bad. I had to learn years ago to ask myself, what is the other person empowered to do to me? Are they going to slap me? Are they going to fire me? Are they going to take money out of my bank account? Well, no. Well, what am I so afraid of? But sometimes we get held in bondage because we're so afraid to take a risk. When we are unwilling to act, we miss opportunities to fail. Now, that seems kind of counterintuitive because none of us like to fail. Anybody in here like to fail? None of us like to fail. But the truth is, before you ever get to success there are so many times you're gonna have to fail. Before you become that person that God wants you to be, before you launch that business and get it to that point you want it to be at, before you accomplish a goal that you've set in your life, there are so many times you are going to have to fail. Maybe it's five times, maybe it's 10 times, maybe it's 20 times, maybe it's 100 times. You're gonna have to fail before you can ever succeed. Well, listen, when you are so afraid, you are unwilling to act. You're unwilling to take a risk. You know what you're doing? You're just putting off all those failures. Those failures never happen and therefore success can never come. You're trapped in your own fear and Satan wants to keep you there. He wants to keep you from failing because he knows when you experience that failure, number one, you're going to come out of that failure going, you know what? That wasn't so bad hurt so much I could, I could do that again and he knows that's one failure you've taken off and you're that much closer to success. Satan wants to keep you trapped when we're unwilling to act, we miss opportunities for God to use us when we are unwilling to act, we miss opportunities for God to use us Being a fruitful only happens through Faith. Hebrews 11:6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, faith is not just head knowledge that there is a God, it's heart trust in the character of God. See, when I was doing my mission trips, I worked at Domino's Pizza. It's the only job I could hold down and travel all the time. And I remember I had this manager. He was a good dude. I trusted him. We had a good relationship. But some of the other drivers, they didn't like him as much. And I think the reason they didn't like him is because he just tried to run a good store. So he would ask us to help out inside. And when you're a driver, you make your money through tips. So you want to take as many orders as you can because that's the tips. That's the money you're going to make for the night. And so we would be delivering the orders getting our tips and you'd come in the store and he would say, Hey, John, come in. uh, Can you take the trash out? Hey, Olin, will you take the dishes to the back? Would would you do this and help the store out? And every time when he would ask somebody to do it, they would gripe and complain. They would say, well, I'm missing out on tips, man. I'm a driver. I'm not paid to wash dishes. I'm paid to deliver the pizzas. What do you want me to do here? They said, well, I just need you to take some dishes to the back. I just need you to help out for a minute. But he would ask me to do it, and I just trusted him, and I trusted in his heart. So I would say, sure, boss, whatever you need. I remember this one time he asked me to come in and help with the make line, stock some of the food, do some of the dishes. And I remember watching drivers come in and drivers go out. Drivers come in and drivers go out. And I had this opportunity to get frustrated. Like, why am I in here doing all the work that these other drivers are getting to take more deliveries? They're getting the tips, and I'm not. But I remember I trusted my manager. I thought, he's up to something. There's something going on. So I'm just going to have a good attitude. I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. After a little while, he yelled out my name. He said, hey, Olin, come in here. And I walk up to the area where all the runs are. And he says, hey, I got this run for you. And it was like a 100 pizza order to this business. And for those of you who've never delivered pizza before, you make a lot more money delivering 100 pizzas than two pizzas. So all the other drivers are now mad. They're going, why does Olin get to take the whole run by himself? He should have to split that. He should have to split the tips. Why does Olin get to run? And he said, because Olin doesn't gripe when I ask him to work in the store. See, the difference was all of us believed we had a manager, but I trusted in the heart of my manager. See, sometimes when God is asking you to take a risk, you can be skeptical and you can think, man, God, what are you trying to do? God, the people at the church, I mean, they just want me to serve. They just want me to give. They just, they just want me to, to help do everything. I mean, God, you're just, you're just using me. God, you're just putting me in this position. Give, give, give. Do, do, do. And the whole time, the manager is setting you up for a blessing. The whole time, he's setting you up to reward you. And the Bible says, again, Hebrews 11, but without faith it is impossible to please him. We get that, for whoever should draw near to God must believe that he exists. We get that. But we also have to believe that he rewards those who seek him. God is a rewarder. And every time he asks you to take a risk, there is a blessing waiting on the other side. He is setting you up to bless you, to position you in the middle of his favor. If you read all of Hebrews 11, you will see that it says, by faith, over and over and over and over again. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. It says, by faith, Noah constructed in Ark. It says, by faith, Abraham left his country to travel to the promised land. It says, by faith, Moses refused to be called a prince of Egypt and chose to be mistreated with the people of God. It says, by faith, Israel crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after Israel marched around them for seven days. Hebrews 11.32 says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith did their morning devotionals. Is that what it says? Who by faith attended church occasionally. Gave their bare minimum 10%. Was finally talked into serving once a month. Is that what it says? See, I think sometimes we confuse training with battle. See, doing our devotionals, praying, coming to church, that's sharpening your sword. But then God wants you to take that sword and he wants you to go out there and do something with it. It says here, who through faith, what does it say? Conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. All of these people of faith did something. They took a risk And not some little tiny risk. They took a risk that for most of them could have meant their life. They took a risk. They did something with their faith. I want you to understand today there is great risk in doing nothing. Risk, when it's given to you by God, when God is calling you, risk is not risky. Playing it safe is not safe. It's not safe. Playing it safe spiritually is the most dangerous thing you can do. There's nothing more dangerous in your life than playing it safe spiritually, than just sitting in the seat, just staying at home, just doing my little devotional, just refusing to engage in the battle, refusing to obey God where he's calling you to take a risk. When you feel that little nudge in your heart, When you feel that desire to sign up, to do something, to take a next step, to get baptized, to come to forward, to ask, hey, I'd like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it means, but I I just want it. I don't know why. But then we're timid to take those chances. That's the most dangerous place you can be. Because you're missing out on the eternal reward. You're missing out on what heaven has the offer, and you're taking a risk that you're going to waste your life. Don't waste your life. God's only given you one of them. Make the most out of the time that God has given you. Remember, risk is required. Now, before we go today, I want to balance this out just a little bit. When you preach on faith, people get fired up. And they're ready to quit their jobs and just, you know, join the church staff and, you know, sell everything and move away and be a missionary. That's great. But I want to balance this out just a little bit today. Faith requires risk, not foolishness. Faith requires risk, not foolishness. Hebrews eleven twenty nine. 29. I had never looked at this verse like this before. It says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Both groups did the same thing. It worked out really good for one of them. Not so great for the other. See, you can't copy anyone else in their call for God. Whatever God has for that person you're looking at, man, I want to be like them. I want to be like that. Listen, God doesn't want you to be like them. He wants you to be like you. God has a specific call. He has a specific design for your life. You don't have to be in a hurry. You just have to obey where you are right now. Faith requires risk, but not foolishness. It doesn't require us to go crazy. Both these groups took a risk, but their motives were totally different. You see, there's two types of commands from God. There's general commands given to all of us as believers. You don't need a word from God to read your Bible, love people, serve, tithe, attend church, right? I don't need God to speak to me audibly. Go to church. Like, I don't need that. I got it. It's in the Bible. We should all do that. If you're questioning, hey, should I go to church? Should I read my Bible? Easy. Yes. Right? Not hard. But then there are personal commands where God has individual gifts and assignments for each and every one of us. And this is where we have to use some wisdom. This is where we can't afford to be foolish. We have to use some wisdom and make sure we're hearing from God and we're obeying what God has for us to do individually. Three quick tips before we end today. Number one, it must be scriptural. It must be scriptural. You would be amazed as pastors how often Christians come to us and wanna do something sinful because God told them to. Listen, God did not tell you to leave your wife for another woman. That was the spirit. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. That one had horns. Not the Holy Spirit. God is never going to tell you to violate his word. He's never going to tell you to do something sinful. It has to line up with scripture. God speaks to you. And listen, if somebody has a word for you, if someone in church comes up, "Ah, I've got a word for you. It should confirm what God is speaking in your heart. If someone came up to me today and said, God is calling you to Uganda, I'd be like, no, he ain't. (laughs) Nope. Because he ain't even whispered a word to me about Uganda. When the Lord called me to come on staff here at the church, for six months, for six months, me and my wife had been praying and we had been talking to each other going, do you feel something? Yep. You feel it? I feel it too. Something's coming. Something's changing. There's a change. There's a shift coming. I don't know what it is. But God, there's something coming. There's a shift coming. Do you feel it? Yeah, I feel it. For six months, we would have this conversation, and then Pastor Troy calls me on the phone. I remember laying in bed at night, my wife beside me. We're talking about it. And I'm like, Yeah, this, and yeah, that, and yeah, this. And she goes, Why are we talking about? We both know you're doing it. Because God had already prepared the ground. God will prepare you. God will confirm His word. He's not a God of confusion. And so you don't have to sit here and wonder, well, I just don't know what God's calling me to do. It's not that hard. He's gonna lead you and guide you. And I guarantee you the first step is right in front of you. It's right in front of you. It's not gonna be hard. Number two, sm- start small. Start small. Before you sell everything and move to Zimbabwe, take one short-term mission trip first. Right? Before you quit your job and join the church staff, listen, serve. Serve. Serve, like do something small first. Start small, start where you are. The kingdom of God is not gonna end if it takes you six months to kind of figure it out, right? The kingdom doesn't hinge on me, it doesn't hinge on you. It hinges on Jesus. It's gonna be okay. It was here before us, it'll be here after us. It's all right. Sometimes we get in a big hurry, like what God told me and if I don't do what God said, the whole thing's gonna crash. It's like, calm down. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Listen, the problem isn't that there aren't enough Christians doing grandiose things. The problem is that there's too many Christians doing no things. That's the problem. And sometimes it's glamorous to aspire to do the grand things when we're tripping over the small things that are left undone. There's a piece of trash out there and we walk right by it. Why? Because we're too big. We've got to go prophesy. Let me tell you something. Start picking up the trash first. Start with the small things. Start with the character things. Let God use you right where you are. The third thing, get agreement from the right people. Your spouse, your pastors, your parents if you're young. There's a difference between permission and agreement. You're not not seeking permission. You're gaining agreement. The Bible says there's wisdom and wise counsel and much counsel. So before I make a big move, you better believe me and my wife are going to be in agreement on that thing. We're going to pray together. We're going to make sure we're in agreement. I'm going to talk to my pastors about something like that. I'm going to make sure that I get wisdom poured into me before I just jump out here and do something foolish. Can I get an amen? Amen. My prayer is that this week we can take some action. An area of your life where you've been fearful, where you've been paralyzed and inaction, just take a step this week. Whatever that means for you, it could be starting to tithe. It could be signing up to serve. It could be signing up for a missions trip next year. Maybe you've always wanted to go on a missions trip and you've always talked yourself out of it. Man, this is your year. Whatever that thing is that God has just been pulling at your heart, I believe this is your year to take a risk, amen? Before we pray, I've got a homework assignment for you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Two questions, very simple. When was the last time I took a risk for God? When was the last time I took a risk for God? Again, for some of us, man, we've taken risks. God has blessed us, but victory has defeated us. Sometimes we get so comfortable. Man, we've we've seen God move, but yet we're we're, we're too set where we are. When's the last time I took a risk for God? And then I want to challenge you today, pray. Ask God, what risk do you want me to take right now? Don't just think about it, pray about it. Ask God to show you, God, where do you want me to take a step of faith? Where do you want me to take a risk, God? Where do you want me to trust you where I've not been trusting you? God will show you. He'll show you. It's usually somewhere you don't want him to touch. It's usually somewhere sensitive, somewhere you've been resisting, somewhere you've been kind of holding him at bay. But ask God. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet for a moment. We're gonna pray. I want to ask you for just a moment, those of you that are online as well, just take one minute. We're going to take one minute. Just make sure that you leave here today right with God. I'm going to ask you to bow your head, to close your eyes. We always like to give an opportunity for you to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. What is the gospel? It's just good news. It's good news about what Jesus has done for you. If you really think about it logically, life is not a risk at all. It's a certainty. The Bible says we're all gonna live, we're all gonna die, and we're all gonna face judgment. That's what the Bible says. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But see, Jesus coming to this earth, that wasn't a risk either. That was a certainty. He knew he was gonna die. He knew he was going to die for you. He knew he was going to face God's judgment for you. It was a certainty. In the gospel, the good news is that Jesus accepted the certainty of death so you could receive the certainty of life. So you could leave here today knowing that you know that you know without any doubt in your heart that when you die, you are going to heaven. That when you stand before God, when you face that judgment, you're going to be able to say, hey, Jesus took my place. I put my faith and my trust in him. If you want that today, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never committed your heart to him, acknowledged him as Lord. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you're joining with us online, there's a button there. You can click in the chat. We have people to pray with you. If you're in this room right now, I want to ask you to take a risk to do something bold. I want you to lift your hand up right now if you want to pray that prayer and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we're going to pray this with you. Because when you receive Jesus, you don't just get Jesus, you get a family. If you get a family of people that are here to go on this journey with you, to encourage you, to pray with you. And we're going to pray this out loud. If that's you, just lift your hand up now. Church, let's pray this together with them. Say, Father God, God, I'm going to take a risk today. I'm going to believe you because I trust you. I don't just believe you are. I trust your heart. I believe Jesus died for me. He rose again so I could receive the certainty of life. Eternal life. I claim it now. It is mine. In Jesus' name, amen.